All right, remember Cody started us down the road and did all the, uh, the words that you find in the Old Testament, New Testament, and we're talking about sanctification. And so I had to go back and read through all that. So let me inv- get my mind going uh, to what we're talking about as we turn into some aspects of sanctification. Like I got to deal with, with fear and love and faith and how those three words help us become more like Christ. So let me do a little bit of background here. Do y'all remember what superlatives are? Did you talk about superlatives? You know, you've got your adjective form. We'll say simple. And then you've got your comparison form. Simpler. And then you've got your superlative form, which is what? Most simple. How do you spell simplest? Is that right? Okay. Is that right, John? It's simplest. Simplest is a word. It's a word. Look it up on your phone. (laughs) It might be I-E-S-T. I don't remember. There's no I. Okay. So these are superlatives, right? This is the adjective. This is the comparison because you've taken up a step. And this is the highest form. For instance, here's another illustration. Here's the comparison. And what's the superlative? Best. Okay, let me add you one. Because Cody showed us that you really can't define this because there's only one person being that belongs in this category. Who is that? It's God, right? So even, even putting it in here, I hesitate to do this, but you do understand we're talking about the extreme, and that's what a superlative is. It is the extreme form, the highest form, the exaggerated form. And so the only really way to define holy, and Cody taught us this as well, we think of ethical, moral, purity, but that's only an element of it. So when you think about the exaggerated form, the only one that belongs in this category is God. And the thing that makes anything holy, like I just heard a a fork hit the ground, So the Lord had specific utensils that was used in the sanctuary, and those utensils were holy because God had set them apart for His own use. And because God set them apart, they were therefore defined as holy. They belonged to God. Does that make sense? And so when you and I are set apart for the purposes of God, we're designated as holy. And the only reason that we're holy is because we're in a relationship with God. doesn't mean... We're morally pure. It means we're in a relationship with God. That's why when you profess faith in Christ, you are made holy that day. And you probably think like I do oftentimes, oh, I'm not holy. No, no, no. You're holy because you've been put into a relationship with God. It's what He did. And if you belong to the Father, this is where He's designated you as holy. Does that make sense? So I was working through the superlatives today, trying to figure out this word. But anyway, of God, Cody used the phrase in the sphere of God or belonging to God. Therefore, it makes it the highest form, period, that there is. 
Now we also talk about, and Cody did this too, we also talk about moral holiness or moral purity. And like I said, that's certainly an element of that, uh, but that's not the definition in all of its entirety. The only definition that you can walk away with is it's of God, and that's it, okay? But what's cool about when you come into the New Testament, so they take the Greek word for holy, and you've got all these words. And I could add sanctification and can you think of another one, Cody? God, yeah, that was one of them that you showed us. So you've got all these words and they all have the same root because they all come out of the same sphere. They all have the same meaning. In other words, you know, the Catholic Church sorely messes this up because there's categories in which people are granted sainthood. That's ridiculous. That's nowhere communicated in the text. You're a saint because you're in relationship with God because God is holy and this word means holy. Therefore, you're a saint, not based on your character, based on the fact that he said you're mine and he has made you holy. And then Cody talked about um, how, well, let me, okay, if I write these three words up here, Oh, Cody, was, was this one of the words, too, that had that same? Or was it a different in the Greek? It was the same, had the same root. So we've got all kinds of words that built off the word holy. But when I write these three words up here, ignore everything else, somebody talked to me about this in relationship to the word sanctified. And we'll see. We'll give you a Cody test from him teaching us for the last two weeks. What does those three words have to do with this one word? Y'all remember that? Those are my three words, by the way, but maybe y'all's brain works like mine. Which one is the process? <laughs> Formation, yes. This is the process. This is where we're being made more like Christ. It's built off this idea of being sanctified, and it's, the root word is holy. So you're being formed into the image of Christ. You're being made this way. And, okay, let's talk about that just a second. We'll get to this in the end of Romans 8, but it's, again, it's, it's happening. And you think, well, it's not happening. It's, it's happening. If you're in Christ, it is happening. God is using everything. Sarah came over to the house and we were talking about the horrible experience that Wallace just went through. God was using that for the formation of Christ in her. How? I don't know. I don't understand. But once you come to faith in Christ, everything gets used, all of your experiences to form Christ in you. Good, bad, the unthinkable. All of them are used to form you into the image of Christ. So don't ask, the, don't ever ask the question, why? Why am I going through this? That's why. How? I have no idea. But I do know why. So talk to me about this. How does this relate to foundation? 
Huh? When you accept Christ, you're sanctified. That's what we're talking about. Just because you're saved, you're sanctified or you're holy in many sense. In fact, the majority of the usages of the word sanctified in the text is talking about the day you got saved. You were formed. You, were, you belong to Him, therefore you are set apart or sanctified. Now talk to me about that and that and that. Yes. Thank you. We have, we have a big, like, $2 word for that. Anybody know the $2 word? Glorification. Glorification. And I can't wait for that part. Who was I talking to about this the other day? It's hard to imagine that you will be you without any remnant of sin in your life. No thought, no word, no deed. You're batting a thousand on holiness with everything that you do. That's where we're headed. That's absolutely remarkable to think about. That the very presence of sin will not even exist or dwell within us or around us. Completely removed. And that's, that's going to be a glorious day. That's going to be something. But you'll still be you. You'll still be identifiable and recognizable as you without the presence of sin. So that's pretty remarkable. So yeah, this is huge. The things that we're talking about right now. When we talk about holiness. I mean, the entire New Testament is pushing us in this direction. Okay? Thank you all for answering questions. So we get into this idea of fear, love, and faith. And all of these three words play a role in this formation of being made holy. And so let's look at this. And I'll give you several verses just to show you some context. So when we bring it in here, the fear of the Lord is the... Of course, this is one of those passages everybody's got memorized, right? Is the beginning of knowledge... Fools, on the opposite side, despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to ask y'all questions, or we won't get through fear and love and faith in six weeks if I ask you a whole bunch of questions. But do you see automatically how the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom and knowledge? Somebody brought this up the other day, uh, and it's a very good point. You know, if you're speaking to a lost person trying to share Christ and you use the Word of God, you do understand that's not connecting with them because they don't marvel at the Word of God, nor do they think it as inerrant. They just think it as a book. And so if you base your argument off of the Word of God, well, it requires faith and wisdom and grace to understand that book in your lap was written by God. Okay? So that's a tough sell. But if you do understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning, that's at the start where you realize God is God and what He says is eternally true. Oh, now the ball's rolling in your heart and your mind. Now the beginnings of things are beginning to take shape when you recognize God is who He says He is and His Word is exactly true, inarguable. Okay? And that's why we get this relationship, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of knowledge. Because you see God in all of His glory. I know many of you probably got saved when you were young, but if you got saved when you were older, you had to come to the place where you understood God is who He is and I, who, I am who I am. And we are vastly different. And that's the beginnings of things where you begin to see, I need to turn from my sin and put my faith in Christ. Right? But you've got to see Him in who He is. Alright? Now, how is the relationship between... 
this and this. What's the relationship between those two? This teaches us something else about the fear of the Lord. Unbelievers don't have it, so they're And therefore they lack. You know, I admire that. That's like on my top two. Is someone who walks in wisdom. And wisdom only comes from the Lord, you understand. So when we talk about the fear of God, let's define that for real real quickly because people just I hear all kinds of definitions in regard to that so I jotted down several synonyms that kind of help us drive toward that when we're talking about the fear of the Lord the reason that we don't understand that is because we don't have any context for a king if we still had a king we would understand fear a lot better because fear has to do with reverence awe respect honor praise worship adoration those sort of things are built around our fear. And I've heard other pastors say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with terror. And I'm like, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12 does have something, or 13 does have something to do with terror in regard to the fear of the Lord. Because if you're on the opposite side of the Lord, or if you're living in unrepentant sin, you should be terrified. The writer of Hebrews says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It's terrifying. So it has a lot to do with that. So when we fear the Lord, we understand that what He says is true and He alone is the source of wisdom, right? And not to have a relationship with the Lord is to be ignorant. It is to be without wisdom altogether. But the closer that you draw to the Lord and the more that you rely upon His Word, you begin to be filled with wisdom. And that, to me, is one of the most admirable things or traits or characteristics that you can have. You see life through the filter of the truth of God's Word. Your responses are synonymous with the truth that we find in Scripture. You're not relying upon your heart. You're not relying upon a feeling. You're relying upon the Word of God that you know and that you've memorized and that you understand. And you go, oh, I know what to do. Oh, I know what to say. I know how to instruct because I remember what God's Word says. Now, that's when the maturity in your life takes off. And that's exactly where you want to be. And if you don't know what the Word of God says about a particular issue, I would, I would encourage you to always say, I don't know. What would you do? I can't think of what the Lord's words, I don't know. What would you say? Let me get back with you because I need to go home and get my Bible out. Well, no, no, just tell me what you think. No, 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 that's not important. That's not important. What I think really doesn't matter. Let me go home and get my Bible out, and I'll get back with you tomorrow. That's when your maturity level is really going to start taking off. Okay? So we have all these passages about the fear of the Lord in Scripture. Proverbs 9.10, again, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning. When you understand who He is in all of His glory, things really start to move for you. Uh, turn to Job 28. 28. I wanted you to see this one in context a little bit. Right before Psalms and Proverbs, if you can find Proverbs and Psalms back up to the left just a little bit and you'll run into Job. We hadn't been in Job a long in Job for a long time.
All right, let me start in verse 12. Job 28, verse 12, because this whole section is about wisdom and its relationship to the fear of God. Job asked question, the question in verse 12, But where can wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me. The sea says, It is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as, as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Orpher, its precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it. We're still talking about wisdom. Nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. The acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it nor can it be valued in pure gold, nor then does wisdom, or where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all the living, and it's concealed from the birds of the sky. Abiding and death say with our ears, we have heard a report of it. Verse 23, he turns. God understands its way. He knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He established wisdom and searched out all of its depths. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Now, there's your definition. Now, hopefully you can see the relationship, though, between wisdom and, I took the word off the board, and holiness. Because if we're going to talk about the formation of holiness in your life, if you don't have wisdom, that's not going to happen. That means that the more that you get in the Word of God, the more that you read it, and not just read it, but apply yourself to understanding it and apply yourself to living in the truth of it, holiness is going to take off. Those are the only resources that God has given us. The Holy Spirit and His Holy Word to make holiness come to life in you. Okay? But if you don't know the Holy Word, you can forget about holiness. I guess you're just going to have to wait. Is going to be a slow process. But the more you turn your heart toward the wisdom of God, and not just knowing it in your head, it, it's applying it. Uh, husbands, love your wives. How many times does he say that in Ephesians 5? Like a bunch. I know three. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. You think that would be really easy to do. But how often do you find yourself strained to do that because you're aggravated or frustrated about something she's done or said? And you just can't even muster up just a half ounce of love. You don't even want to talk to her. But see, wisdom does this. Well, I know what God's Word says, so I just need to get over myself and love my wife. And this idea of not talking to her because she did something that makes me mad is just keeping me away from who I want to be. And so let me just forget myself, turn away from myself, and love my wife like I'm supposed to do. Forgive. 
we know what the Bible says. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to bitterness and resentment and I'm not forgiving them. You don't understand what they did. Okay, you can do that, but you know, you can forget that right now because there's no way you're going to be like this. The only way for you to be like this is to hear what God's Word says about forgiveness. And you go, well, I don't care what my excuse is. I know what the Bible says. I forgive. And God's like, oh, holiness. You're becoming a lot more like my son. It's not hard. We're not talking about rocket science. This is not difficult math. It's really simple. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom alone is found with God. And you have a copy of it. You just have to live in light of it. And that promotes growth in your life. Okay? All right. Let me keep going. Psalms 111. I do have to pick up pace. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise is forever. Notice what he relates. Fear, wisdom, do. There's your math. It's not hard. Really, in this context, holiness equals what? Cody's favorite word. Starts with an O. Obedience. Yeah. See, it's not hard. If you're like, man, I just really wish I had wisdom. I'm okay. Study God's Word and do it, and you'll have it. And people will come to you all the time. You're just so wise. Would you help me walk through this? And you can kind of laugh and go, well, it's not mine. <laughs> I just got it from this book. It sits on my coffee table all the time. All right? Ecclesiastes, okay, turn there. Ecclesiastes 12. I always forget where that is. Which direction is that? After Proverbs. Proverbs. All right, so Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Very last one. Very last chapter, very last verses. All right, so you know Solomon wrote it. And you know Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, period. Nobody's beat him before or after. And so he reflects on everything. He carries everything to its foolish end or back around to glory. So he sums up all that he's thought about in his life with these last few passages. And so let's see what he says, or at least the author says about it. Look at verse 9, Ecclesiastes 12, 9. In addition to being a wise man... The preacher, he calls him here, also taught the, people's, the people knowledge, and he pondered and he searched out and he arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. I bet if you ever heard a sermon from Solomon, you'd been absolutely blown away the way he communicated things. Verse 11, the words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. Excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God, keep His commandments, because this applies to every single solitary person. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything is hidden, whether it is good or evil. In other words, the wisest man who ever lived says, let me just sum up everything of everything for you. Fear God, obey. 
That's the very best. So we're not that wise. We can't get to the end of things, but there is a man who got to the end of things, and this is what he said about it. I've seen the end of things. This is where you need to be. Okay? 2 Corinthians 7, another passage about this. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So Nathan, let me ask you this. What does he connect with the fear of God here? You taught us on it. There you go. In other words, if you want to grow in holiness, it begins with the fear of the Lord, but it has a lot to do with repentance. In other words, if you're going to hang on to the sin in your life and you want to grow in holiness, good luck, the math is not there. And I've often wondered, you know, you meet people, and I have nobody coming to mind, so please don't think I'm talking about you. You meet people who've been Christians their whole life and you're just like, why are you so immature? And I'll tell you one of the reasons that might be possible that they're so immature is because they've refused to walk in repentance. They've just continued in their sin, not dealing with it, not rooting it out. And the more that they've walked into it, they've remained an infant in Christ rather than becoming an adult in Christ. The formation has gone very slowly because they haven't let go of their sin. They've just not turned away or excused it, right? Or not listened to the Lord when He spoke to them through their word, or through preaching. They're like, ah, you think I'm bad. Well, you should see so-and-so. I mean, come on. What are you concerned about, right? Turn over to Philippians 2. Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 2. So there's no way I'm going to take the time to read all of this, but if you have a subtitle over Philippians 2, what is it? Christ's example of humility. Mine simply says, be like Christ, right? So when you get down to... Verse 12, so then, he talks about the humility of Christ and he wants the church to take up the same attitude. So he summarizes it in verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. There's those attitudes toward God that we have. And those attitudes are necessary for you to grow in holiness. You know, when, somebody, when you're doing something and somebody loves you enough to say, but brother, do you remember what the Word says? Your heart should tremble. It really should. You should not offer an excuse. When somebody says, now hang on, have you thought about the Lord? You ought to close your mouth and you ought to, you ought to tremble a little bit. Because God's loved you enough, thought enough about you, and obviously this person does too, to correct you in your way. Don't be arrogant. Don't dare be arrogant. Be humble and receptive. 
You hear me talk a certain way about somebody, and you say, Joey, come on now. We're not supposed to, we shouldn't talk about people like that. My right response would be a trembling of heart and an, oh God, forgive me. I didn't realize what I was doing. And not, well, if you knew him like I knew him, you'd agree with me. You're not helping me at all, right? So this is what he's talking about. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and it helps in sanctification. All right, let me speed up the pace and go through some of these other passages just a little bit. I might stop and ask you a question every now and then. Genesis 22, do not stretch out your hand against the boy. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Who's he talking about? Abraham is going to offer up, and he referred to it as, why did he call that, now I know you fear me? Why would he say that? It's obedience. That's how God relates fear. Oh, you're going to do what I say. You have fear for God. Okay? Deuteronomy 6, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. So what's this have to do with the fear of God? What is he related to? Worship. Worship, and we can't skip this word, only. I would suggest to you that if you worship anyone other than the Lord God, you don't fear the Lord God at all. Actually, you're violating the first commandment, right? Okay. Deuteronomy 12, or 10, verse 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? This is what he requires, but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways and love him and serve him, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul. Now, what does he relate the fear of the Lord to? Love and service. Love, service, what else? Walk. So, okay, define fear of the Lord for me. Okay, it's not that hard. Walk in all of his ways. Love Him, serve Him. You fear the Lord. That's probably one of the best comprehensive passages that you're going to find on the fear of God. Okay? A bunch of psalms, quickly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. What's He relate the fear to? His salvation. Psalms 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. What does He relate it to? Look at what He gives toward those who fear Him. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. What does He relate it to? Psalms 103, But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. What's he related to? Eternal, everlasting loving kindness. Psalm 119, I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. What does he relate that to? A friend. Psalms 147, 11, the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. What does he relate that to? The favor of God. 
I would suggest to you, this is very important in your life in regard to holiness. It's very important. And when you find yourself not walking in the fear of the Lord, you need to fall on your face at that moment and repent and realize how you need to walk in reverential awe, honor, respect, obedience, worship, adoration, praise of God. So what is disobedience the opposite of then? The fear of the Lord. Isn't that something? So we know what disobedience looks like in a child's heart. They puff out that little chest and they look at mom and dad and they go, no. Who's telling us that story the other day that wouldn't quit? Oh, Johnny Sheila was telling us about one of your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all couldn't beat yes out of her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is an absolute good example of the way that we do the Lord when we walk in disobedience. We just look at God and go, no, no, not going to do it. Well, thankfully, he's probably more gracious than uh, Travis and Emma. <laughs> Much more patient. But that doesn't do a thing for this. I mean, when you say no, you might as well just go, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out as far as gaining in holiness. It's just not going to happen in my life. All right, a couple more. In the fear of the Lord, what do we find? There is confidence in your way. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. In other words, when you fear God, He does something on the inside of you that emboldens you, that renews you, even if everybody else is against you. God says, I will renew you in the inner man if you're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. Okay? I know you all have experienced that. I mean, when you repent, grit your teeth, and walk in obedience, y'all know what happens on the inside of you. You're like, I'm doing what's right. I don't care what anybody else says. I know this is right. Uh, okay, here's the opposite side of this. Transgression speaks to the godly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. This is consistent with all the lost. Turn back, you're in Philippians, turn back to the left and go to Romans 3. Romans 3, you know how verse 10 starts. So I'll just kind of touch on verse 10 and jump down. Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, not even one, none who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. There's none who does good. Verse 18, There is no fear of God before their eyes. He's describing the lost, but he's also describing depravity. And the definition of depravity, no fear of God. And, you know, if you want to talk about our country, you know, I could take off from that jumping point and just go nuts. There's absolutely no fear of God in our culture anymore. It's shameful. But there is judgment. So it will be, it will be dealt with. But there's absolutely no fear of God. All right, let's jump off from there and jump into love. What time is it? 
We got time. So I was wrongly taught that fear was the immature attitude toward God and love was the mature attitude toward God. If you obey God out of fear, that was not as mature as obeying God out of love. That's goofy, just absolutely foolish. These are one of these things that kind of hold and hang in balance. There's a tension here, right? We obey God because we fear the Lord, but we also obey God because we love the Lord, right? We do both. We absolutely do both. So Zimmick says, like the fear of the Lord, love for the Lord is also the earmark of the genuine believer. And that's consistent in Scripture. Those who fear God know God and are converted. Those who love God know God and are converted. But Chris usually prays this when he talks about the love of God. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to be careful with love. It's not like we went running out of the gate. He was first out of the gate with the love. But this is just like fear. And love, just like fear, is expressed as obedience. Now, isn't that interesting? In the mind of God, those are like the same. Fear me, love me. It's all the same. And to me, it's, isn't that how a, a dad's supposed to be with the kids? I mean, there's a little bit shakiness about their heart because they don't want dad to get a hold of them. As dad gets a hold of me, it's going to go south in a hurry. So I need to do what dad wants me to do. But I love my dad. And I like almost always do what pleases my dad because I love my dad. So when you think of God and you have a really good father example, you can understand fear and love and how those two things work together, right? And that's how they work together in the Bible. I tremble when my dad's tone drops down or his voice lifts and I don't want to cross him. But at the same time, I really like to just sit in his lap. And that's how it works with God. So you got tons of passages Deuteronomy 5, showing loving and kindness to thousands, to those who, notice this. So back to Cody's words, if you love God, what do you do? You obey God. It's really that simple. Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Um, Deuteronomy 12, now Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways, to love Him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Scripture doesn't separate them. It never separates them because He's our Heavenly Father. We fear Him, we love Him. Deuteronomy 11, you shall therefore love the Lord your God Keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commandments. Love equals obedience again. That says obey. Deuteronomy 11:22. For if you are careful to keep all this commandment which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of His ways and hold fast to Him. Loving and walking. It's the same idea. All right, John 14. Let's go there.
Travis, read uh, John 14, 21 through 24 for me, please. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So, I mean, that's as clear of an equation as you can possibly draw up. But we've turned the love of God into what? Emotional feeling. And it's not void of emotional feeling. Don't Please don't ever think that I'm that dead. It's not void of emotional feeling, but that's not how you define it. It's not how it's defined in the Bible. The love for God is defined by fear and love and obedience. Those three words, okay? All tied together. You can't separate them. So don't dare say, I love God, but I'm going to do this. That doesn't work. Nowhere does that work. Okay? That's how we demonstrate our love for God, through obedience. Jesus, and we kind of touched on this Sunday, summarizes the entire Ten Commandments with love. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22, He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophet. In other words, you can take every rule, every commandment, all this stuff, and sum it up this way. Love God, love your neighbor. Don't turn toward emotions. Don't do that. How do you love God? Obedience. How do you love your neighbor? As yourself. And you tend to take care of and watch out for yourself all day long. Love your neighbor in that way. But he takes all that stuff and he summarizes it up in love. This is the earmark of what it means to be Christian, right? And then 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. So in regard to holiness, it's demonstrated by fear and it's grown in fear. In regard to holiness, is demonstrated by love and it grows in love. Okay? But that brings us to the last word, and I only have one verse for this, and it's the word faith. And obviously, you could have dozens and dozens and dozens, but I didn't think it was necessary. Holiness, formation of Christ, is someone who walks by faith and not by, not by sight. That's when Christ is formed in you. You know, we talk about faith and we think about it just like sanctification. We think about it in that initial step of faith when you turn away from your sin and turn to Christ. But all you've done, you've entered into a new way of living. I now live by faith, which hears God and obeys God and trusts God, even when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Faith says I'm going to obey God. Okay? And so as Christians, if you want to define yourself, here you go, these Back to those three words, if I could ever get back there. I won't try. Christian fears God. Christian loves God. Christian walks by faith, lives by faith. 
and those are the earmarks. So you can see what they have to do with this. All right, questions?